Buddhist geeks. Seriously Buddhist, seriously geeky. Episode 117, Western Buddhism, Mega Trends and Scandals. Lama Sarah Harding joins us again, this time to discuss the major trends in Western Buddhism. We also discuss the common and unfortunate occurrence of scandals within Western Buddhist communities. This is part two of a two-part series. Buddhist Geeks is supported largely by the generosity of our listeners. If you like what we're doing, please consider making a one-time or a small recurring donation by visiting buddhadharma20.com slash donate. Buddhism in America? Yeah. Right. <laughs> okay. So yeah, one of our favorite topics is definitely Buddhism in the West uh-huh. and America in particular. Yeah. And that's, of course, you've been teaching at Naropa for I how have. Long? Oh, not that particular class was developed about five years ago, five or six years ago, maybe. Cool. Yeah. So not that long. And uh, Vince, that was the course you took. And I'm wondering actually really quick what your experience was of that course, since this is something we talk so much about on the show. Yeah. Yeah. No, my experience is it was kind of like a sampling of the different traditions and we mm-hmm. read different books from different people and different traditions and they're on various things that were related to the tradition. And then we ended up going to visit several different monasteries or centers that were uh, in the area and then coming back and sharing our experience there. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was actually really cool because I hadn't had much experience with many of the things that we explored. So I felt like I got a good sense of the kind of the terrain or the landscape of American Buddhism. Yeah. But I've, and at that point, I felt like I still didn't know much, but I, I had a better sense of what was out there, uh-huh. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, and one of the questions that we had for you was if you could identify a couple of the trends you see in sure. in Buddhism yeah. in America. I, yeah, I mean, we beat that idea to death. Yeah, yeah. Class. It was like yeah. one of the yeah. main things. If you could yeah. share with sure. us some of, the, some of the main trends that, yeah. that you see there. Well, one thing I want to start with, because, and you probably remember me, also repeating this too much, but there's a trend among, you know, what has been called kind of like white Buddhists or convert Buddhists, Mm -hmm. like us, like the three of us, that is like to think that we're it. We're what Buddhism in America is, and we kind of know it, and maybe we even, you know, are the purveyors of it. And um, that's one of the first things I like to get out of the way in the class, because it's certainly not true. I mean, it's a tiny minority of Buddhists now, and so that's why we go on all those field trips and all these different temples, um, different ethnic groups practicing Buddhism so that we stop having that kind of elitist Buddhism, you know, which really drives me nuts. And, and another issue that goes with that is the belief that all Buddhists, all they do is like just meditate. And that's the what the Buddha taught, just kind of, you know, meditate and it doesn't involve any ritual and it doesn't involve any kind of social being, you know, and so in the when we visit many of these temples, we see like whole families are there and everybody's making noise and, you know, nobody's walking around whispering on their tiptoes while other people are in samadhi or something. <laughs> and it's a whole different world um, of a living, living traditions. And I, I love to expose ourselves to that more. And then, and then you can argue about issues of what the Buddha really said, you know. In fact, nobody knows. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so some of the trends are interesting. Um, so one trend that I always start out the class with saying, you know, how many people consider themselves Buddhist? And it's almost nobody. 
anymore. Like, and I, you know, I'll get to know that the students, many of them may be doing hours of practice every day, and yet they won't admit that they're Buddhist. They just hate to be, you know, categorized that way. So I think that's one trend. And then another trend is they don't want to be also, they like to kind of pick and choose. It's a little bit of that marketplace Buddhism where, you know, they just don't want to sign their name up on the dotted line with any even one particular lineage. So then they're doing this or that. They do a little Zen. They do a little this and maybe some Hinduism and yoga (laughs) and, uh, you know, a little Kabbalah with it. And, you know, so there's a kind of a real... Is that that just a Naropa thing? I mean, it clearly is. But is it like you've seen, you observe that outside of Naropa a lot? Yeah, well, uh, yeah, I do. I used to do, cool. you know, the classes right. at Extended Studies where I would oh, get right, the general right. community here. Although Boulder, I suppose, is not your average community. <laughs> I, had, I think we know that. Yeah, that's so, right. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, okay. Cool. Yeah. I can see that trend just going yeah. to some of the Dharma centers I've been to. Cool. Uh-huh. Maybe a little less intense. A little intense. less in the Dharma centers. Yeah, you get but... some people that are really hardcore into those traditions. Yeah, yeah. But, but for the most part, yeah, there's a eclectic, yeah. eclecta, eclecticism. Uh huh. Sounds right. Something like that. <laughs> Go Naropa. <laughs> Education. We learn those big words. <laughs> we can say hermeneutic, <laughs> salvific. <laughs> but um, yeah, but you know, it's different. It like you said, it's definitely different in Dharma centers as in you know Naropa is an academic, um, you know, liberal arts college. So, but I, I take that to be more indicative of the sort of average population of of America. And then they'll say things like, well, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. Right. You know, so there's a big resistance on admitting that Buddhism is a religion, but yet they, you know, want to be spiritual. So that's the trend. Let's see what else is there. I don't know. What do you, do you remember some other trends? There's, there's quite a few. Of course, there's There's a psych, there's a psychology piece. Right. Of trying to match it up you know, with psychology or science, those are two areas where everyone's trying to like make it fit, you Mm -hmm. know, science and, and Buddhism, which is so scientific, right? Wrong. Mm -hmm. It's another romantic idea about it or psychology and Buddhism, of course, because those are our two areas of studying the mind, but no one really tries to match it up with other religious traditions in America, which is interesting. You know, you would think maybe that would interest some of it. It's pretty much people who have, you know, not so into other religious traditions and they come to Buddhism for something different. Mm. There's some, you know, things that I consider very good trends, um, much more inclusive of women, you know, than traditionally and women teach, you know, women teachers and, and male teachers, they're like, you know, pretty much on a par, which uh, certainly isn't the case in the uh, countries of origin. And, Another really interesting thing that many people have pointed out, and I think this is, you know, a crucial thing, is that Westerners want to practice Buddhism as if they were monks, but they don't want to become monks or nuns. Mm -hmm, You know, so they want to remain lay people, and yet they want to get into the level of practice that normally in those countries is reserved for monastics. Um, And that creates all those problems, and hence why they're trying to figure out how to do a long retreat without really doing a long retreat and all these issues yeah it's like it's kind of the hybrid hybridized model and that's the one i've definitely pursued yeah. because it's like okay well i have uh student loans and yeah i'm married and that's right and it's yeah. uh in, in some sense 
I literally can't leave for three. Not, That's right. not to mention the three-year thing is a Tibetan thing. It's not the case in the Theravada. They have like the, the three-month rains retreat. But the monastics, right. of course, are practicing sometimes a lot more. Uh, sometimes the monastics, sure. like you said, it's not that it, everyone's sitting around meditating. It's no, actually they're like, like they're doing other things. Yeah, milking the cows at the monastery. Yeah, yeah, or teaching <laughs> teaching kids how to read right, and write right, and stuff like yeah. that. But there are some monastics that are like full-time meditators or yes, whatever. right. Yeah, so I, I can totally yeah. relate to that hybrid uh, model being the only one that seems to even be workable if you want to yeah. really do a lot of practice, meditation practice. It's the hybrid model, and it's also the I want it all model. Yeah, in you some, know, in I some want ways. total and complete enlightenment for all sentient beings, and my house, and my wife, and my job, and my. So you don't think that's doable, huh? Oh, I have no idea. I have no idea. I hope something is doable. Yeah, because we're pretty much. Let's face it, we're not go- all going into life retreats. I mean, yeah. So I, I certainly, I'm betting on that there's great benefit yeah. of whatever practice in whatever way we can do. But otherwise, I mean, I'm really screwed. I, I mean, otherwise, I mean, it seems like the, uh, the concern, I don't know if you share this, but the concern is, well, we could lose the depth of yeah. those original teachings mm-hmm. and, the, and the realizations that the, the people had could be lost. It, and yeah, they're like, that, oh, I think that would suck. <laughs> yeah, it's a valid concern though. But, but, I mean, there may always be some people, if that's true, and we don't know, but if that's true, then there will still always be some people who do the... The super intensive Yeah, the style. super, in, the ex, extreme dharma, as I call it, you yeah. know, the Millarepa model of, uh, of dharma. That's, I thought I was doing that, but I, I've been completely waylaid now. <laughs> You hit your stride too early. Yeah, at like twenty-four <laughs> or something. Yeah. Now I'm an uh, I'm a real life Buddhist geek. <laughs> now you're doing podcast interviews. That's right. <laughs> what went wrong? Yeah. <laughs> so um, another interesting part of that class, and and this is so much part of the Buddhist landscape, mm-hmm. is how so many communities get quagmired in controversy and oh. Uh, I know. So, and it's so boring. scandal yeah. and all of these things. And it, on the one hand, it's like, why is this happening? And on the other hand, it, it is happening. So how do we deal with it? Or how do we understand oh, I know. it? I don't know. Yeah, it's just, it's it really wears you down, all that stuff. But I don't think we can dismiss it because it can be very damaging to people, you know, on a personal level, unfortunately. So, you know, you can't just sweep it under the carpet, which is what I want to do because I'm so tired of it all. But and I feel pretty personally immune in my own practice. In your current situation, yeah. And in my own, well, in my own, like, I want to say faith is not going to be shaken by whatever crap comes along, but some people will be, you know, and you do have to watch out for those uh, situations. So this, you know, involves a lot of counseling. I mean, I, I don't know where to go with that. There's just... Uh, you know, it's human nature and every kind of situation where you have a group of people interacting, there's stuff. But I think it's it's aggravated greatly by people's projection onto teachers who sometimes are perfectly happy to take that projection and and then not necessarily live up to it in a way that's ethical. Right. Where do you think those projections come from? Oh, just our natural desire. I mean, first of all, of course, we have all the literature from the Asian 
traditions of Buddhism that say you should regard, you know, these people with the greatest utmost. But we we actually don't have a paradigm for it in our culture, which is why I actually prefer to be an academic teacher because, you know, every we all know what that is. But mm, yeah. this thing of a guru, you know, nobody really sure how do we do that? Is it like a rock star? Do we shadow them and, and stalk them and, you know, think of that, you know. Want to like, be them. Want to be them, want to kiss their feet. You know, we just don't have a paradigm for what it means to be devoted to a teacher without giving up all of your intelligence, without like forsaking your whole, yeah, your intelligence and your discrimination, and at the same time be totally devoted. Since we don't have that paradigm, then we do, we kind of do it wrong. Mm. And I mean, really, I'm not kidding that that seems like the closest thing we have is the rock star or Hollywood star phenomena, and that's tending to be what people do, and of course that's going to be a disaster. One thing, um, I'd be interested to hear what you think about this. Maybe you'd have to read the paper, but we interviewed this guy named Stuart Lacks, and he wrote a paper that he presented to the American Religion Academy, and it was on the institution of Zen and how the institution of Zen has actually also influenced scandal. And he spent a lot of time in Zen communities oh, yeah. and they're falling apart. Suzuki right. Roshi and then his successor. And then he was in another with a huge sex yeah. scandal. And he was just really yeah. disillusioned. He's like, I got to... And he started studying the sociological stuff. I see. And he started to notice this whole myth in Zen that's not historically accurate. That, you know, for, for instance, the idea that lineage is unbroken and goes all the way back to the Buddha, oh, right. which was actually invented in China uh, like <laughs> a thousand years later. Yeah. And that was part of the Chinese, import, the importance of lineage in the Taoist tradition or whatever. And then he said, it's, it's also built into the, the ideas people have about the Zen master and all these kind of right. uh, poetic descriptions of the Zen master just being spontaneous and perfectly responding right, right. to the conditions. So there's all this kind of ideas about mm-hmm. how the Zen master is perfected in some way. And then it's even built in through the vows and the chanting and through the koan practice. It's even in the koans. And that, so you, you get so kind of indoctrinated into this view mm-hmm. that you actually start to buy into it at some level and start to project because of some of the institutional forms. And he said he saw intelligent and rational, discerning people going into these contexts, reading these books, and then starting yeah. to make these kind of yeah. uh, ill-fated decisions. And I thought that was a really interesting take on it also. Yeah. I mean, and it happens in all of the, all of them and in other situations too. I mean, it's a, it's the cult phenomena really. Yeah. And um, we, we have a tendency to want to like hand over. I mean, you want some really wise old person to know better than you do what you should do. We all kind of crave that. And then it's, I think it's made worse by some certain multicultural or cross-cultural issues of communication and different ways of being that, you know, just add to it and that nobody has uh, enough distance on it or very often, uh, you know, they're operating under different cultural norms. We are than, our, than some of the Asian teachers at least. And that makes it even more um, problematic. It's, it's, yeah, it's a big, I think it's... Um, too bad. And I think of all, you know, Tibetan Buddhism is the worst. Yeah, Zen too, because there's that spontaneous like, oh yeah, Zen master can punch you in the face and that's cool. (laughs) He's so enlightened. Just go ahead and take that abuse, you know. (laughs) But but Tibetan Buddhism has the most kind of like 
what's the word, you know, all this, all kinds of literature about it, but it's all out of context. Right. You know, it's, it's out of our time period, our, our environment and context altogether. So we don't know what to make of it. And so it just gets messed up. And so teachers don't realize about power differentials and about all those things of taking advantage of their spiritual position as a spiritual teacher. And then, of course, the students who shouldn't be really expected to know that ahead of time if they're young, especially in novices, you know. Mm. It's really, it should be the responsibility of the teacher. But if they don't have that kind of language and they don't have that kind of training, then coming yeah. from a different culture, then it's hard to expect it from them. So. Yeah, and sometimes there's not, I'm guessing in the Tibetan tradition especially, there's not really any oversight from people that yeah. understand those issues either. No, there's none. Yeah. None. <laughs> Zero. That's that's part of the reason I've seen the insight tradition have a little less the scandals. Mm -hmm. It's because it seems like now they start they're starting to have a community of people that have been teaching for a long time that are kind of overseeing some yeah. of these things in a more almost like in a more corp I mean it's like a business model of like That's right. Yeah, it is. And it, yeah. and it, and it and, works a little better. And this, <laughs> seems to. the therapy model also there in, the therapy. in that in that community which helps I think because mm -hmm. they know those issues. Well, one time a friend of mine suggested that he would lead um, a training for lamas, you know, on how to teach and include all those. And as you can imagine, not one signed up. I mean, <laughs> it was a little bit arrogant of him to presume that. But so I, I don't know. That problem doesn't go away. That's why I say I'm tired of it because each new generation of, of Asian teachers still has to go through it when they come to the West. Do you see, uh, I know you're tired of it, but do you see any way forward that you've seen examples of that that we could learn from? Oh, yeah. I mean, students from, you know, for Western students can definitely help each other and learn from those models a lot, I think, certainly. And there's certain things that are slowly shifting even among more um, knowledgeable and more um, experienced teachers who come to the West and kind of get an idea what's going on here better than some of their, you know, some of the older... The predecessors. predecessors yeah. Yeah. That's the word. <laughs> <laughs> Score another big word yeah, for the Europa crew. Predecessor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's just, it's just such an unfortunate side effect, you know, of the whole Dharma. And I think we talk about something called spiritual bypass, and I think you know what that is, you know, where you think everything... Of course, scandal and problems and these issues happen in any community, but when it's a spiritual community, it's worse um, for a number of reasons. And one of the main ones is you don't think it's going to happen. You know, you really trust and people really put a lot of, you know, trust in that this this is really holy and sacred and these people are enlightened and realized whether they're Western teachers or uh, Asian teachers, you know, it doesn't matter. There's still this kind of feeling like, well, they should, they know everything, you know. And that's one of the worst uh, things to th just assume that mm -hmm. you don't know where you stand. So. Well, thank you for sharing uh, about the three-year retreat and also Buddhism in America. Yeah. Okay. Really cool topics. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm glad glad we had on that Buddhism in America stuff. That's great. Yeah, it's a, it's a whole new field. It's just, I think a lot of people are processing that. Right? We're all in the midst of trying yeah. to, what do we think about this and what's going on? So I think that'll be helpful. Isn't there so, like, it's sort of like, Wait, where are we? Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> that, totally. You know, we don't know. We're riding the crest of something and we have no idea where it's going to crash. 
Join us for the fourth annual Buddhist Geeks Conference, hosted in partnership with Mindful Cyborgs and Shambhala Sun from October 16th through the 19th in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. This year's conference will be exploring the convergence of Buddhism with modern culture and technology through informative keynote presentations, idea-packed TED-style talks, self-organizing community dialogues, and contemplative workshops and practice periods. This year's list of presenters includes the world's most quantified man, Chris Dancy, abbot of the village Zendo in New York City, Roshi Pat Enkyo O'Hara, and pragmatic Dharma provocateur, Daniel Ingram, as well as many others. For more information and to register, visit BuddhistGeeks.com conference. After nearly a year in private beta, the Buddhist Geeks Network is now open for any independent practitioners who want to engage in interdependent practice. You can find out more about the Buddhist Geeks Network by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. And if you'd like to join the community and join us in regular social meditation practice or other events that we host there in the network, all freely offered, you're very welcome to do so, again, by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. Love to see you there.